Peace on earth and goodwill to all men is a line many know and associate with Christmas. Christmas is one of many holidays that families often come together and celebrate. But what if you are estranged from your family? Do you still turn up to the gathering trying to integrate yourself once more? Perhaps show goodwill to all? Or is it simpler to just kill everyone who has wronged you and made a poor attempt at passing the blame for the massacre? This is the case of Aziz Yazdan Panna, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I'm Cameron, and joined with me is Mother. Hello. Do you reckon at some point, as a podcast, we're going to get large enough that we're going to have a wide selection of our audience that are from other countries that can help us with the pronunciations because the more exotic names you struggle with anyway they sound elvish bros from lord of the rings you're going to struggle <laughs> the problem is when you listen to news reports they all say it differently so i'm hoping that yes people will come from different continents and say to me actually well no 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 i'm wondering if we put something out and be oh. like help <laughs> we're british bro we colonized half the world to get spices and dinky benny of them and we can't pronounce a name that isn't smith or warren we struggle this is true. This is true. We put them into a website and try to find the pronunciation, but a lot of it is just, what is that? Whereas if we have an audience from that country, they might be able to help. Or their AI-type voices. And that's which... just whatever. That's just made up on the spot almost, yeah. Yeah. So, hello, everyone. We are in December once again and looking at Christmas or adjacent cases. We did the Covina massacre, Bruce Pardo, one year, and this is remarkably similar. That opening shows you how non-religious I am. Did not know it's always quoted wrongly and shortened. It's from the King James Version of the Bible. I'm sure that's significant, but I cannot be bothered to look up why. Luke 2.14. It should say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. This week, there is no goodwill. There are a few YouTube videos on this, but no documentaries, no books, except one paragraph in one book that's more research adjacent, as it's all about family annihilators. Yes, we are back to one of those. Motives? Plenty of speculation, and I'm sure we'll do the same. Little early information on disease. His full name is actually Azilola, but apparently he was known as Bob but I'll stick to Aziz. He was born in Iran in 1955. He was married to Fatima, known as Nazrin, who was a year younger. Married in 1987, I believe, and they had two children, Nona, born in 1992, and Ali, born in 1997. I have a question. Why is she known as Nazrin? Is one of them a family name that she gets referred to by the family, and the other one is uh, everyone else kind of name? I believe Nazrin was the name the family knew her by. All the news reports, no, that's not true. Some of the news reports call her Fatima. It's not Fatima, it's Fatima. So, I do not know when Aziz came to the USA. If he met and married Nazin in Iran or in the USA. Simply no information. 1996, Aziz gets into trouble. Files a false tax return gets charged, pleads guilty, and gets three years probation and fined $1,000. Not a small sum. 
What really crippled them was the restitution he was ordered to pay, $30,119. By 1999, the couple filed for joint bankruptcy. It can't get you out of owing money to the IRS, but it must have been a quick and easy get out of trouble for other debts, as it said the bankruptcy was discharged months later. Apparently, Aziz was working as a mortgage broker, or maybe a real estate agent, perhaps a combination of the two. Again, surprising, as you couldn't work in anything that's regulated financially in the finance industry in the UK with a bankruptcy on your record. But USA? Different rules. 2007. Aziz just stops working. No explanation why or even how. They were, I believe, living in a house in a place called Coleyville in Texas. Looks like a really nice place. Sort of northeast of Fort Worth. About 23,000 residents. Nazrin probably saw the writing on the wall. She had her cosmetology licence. The family needed to live. She goes to work at two salons to keep them afloat. Aziz didn't like that. He had forbade her to work for years. Her response? We don't know. Except she did tell co-workers he wasn't meeting his responsibilities as a Muslim to provide for his family. So someone had to do it, and so she did. It must have been tough for her. She had even had to file for bankruptcy again in August of 2010. That one, I believe, was a sole filing. I do not understand how that works as we don't have joint filings per se. You can file together, but you are still individually bankrupt in the UK. It's also stupidly expensive here to do it. As all of the financial worries are mounting, so is tension in the household. Aziz was very old school. His house, his rules type of man. Even if Nazrin ignored him to keep food on the table and a roof over their heads, Aziz wasn't going to allow his children to disrespect him and his rules. Especially about Nonna dating. That was forbidden. He would take her phone, check her messages. He refused to let her wear typical teenage clothing. He put cameras up around the outside of the house. Yes, security, but they all felt it was a form of control, that they were being spied on. Aziz even went as far as nailing up Nonna's window so she couldn't sneak out during the night. He may well have had a point. Nonna did have a boyfriend, a 30-year-old guy. But when she tried to break it off with him, the guy didn't take it well at all. According to later police reports, the guy had begun sending threatening texts to Nonna and even tried to run the family off the road. In hindsight, actually, I don't think I agree with the application of it, but I agree with the sentiment of it. Yeah. She's a child and he's 30. Yeah, I don't think he possibly envisaged something like that, but she wasn't allowed to date until she was a certain age anyway. (sighs) Well, if she's a Muslim, depending on how devout they are, they're not allowed to. Usually it's the man approaches the dad and says I think I can provide for your daughter I like her they kind of meet there's an agreement and there's like almost like an exchange well with this boyfriend and the threatening text and then trying to run their car off the road or at least run into their car by that point Nonna had to tell Aziz he took it as well as expected 
especially as the guy was not Muslim. Up until I read that, I had no idea the family was Muslim. I assumed that they were similar to many Iranians I've met and worked with over the years. Not devout at all. So I was surprised he took such a dislike to the boyfriend on that basis, rather than the age difference. The police were called to deal with the allegations of threatening behaviour, etc. And Aziz answered the door, packing a gun, a 9mm pistol. It's Texas. It's allowed. And the gun was legally held. However, he did apologise to the police and removed it from its holster whilst talking to them. No charges were filed against the ex-boyfriend. He denied everything. And, to be honest, we have no real way of knowing if Nonna exaggerated the threats to maybe keep her father from going into orbit or if the cameras were not about control but keeping everyone safe from the ex-boyfriend. By March of 2011, Nazarin had had enough. She had been desperately trying to stop the home being repossessed, but was fighting a losing battle on all fronts with Aziz. Not only the money problems, but the authoritarian attitude towards the children. Is he still living there at this point? Yeah, they're all living together in the home. But things were going missing from the home. Ornaments and Persian rugs. There is a market for these things and they can be worth a fortune. But wherever they'd gone, she must have known Aziz was disposing of them by some means. But the money wasn't being used to save the home. Couldn't they check the cameras? You'd have thought. Bro left with a rug on his shoulder and came back with that one. (laughs) He did it, yeah. Yeah, but no, you're not allowed to look at the cameras. That's my my cameras, yeah. Yeah. It's also my rug, apparently. Hmm. Well, by this point, the house had almost no furniture in it. There was no electricity. And oh, no sorry, what did he just think was going to happen? The, <laughs> the household items are just dwindling, and she's like, do you know what, we're just sat on the floor. Where'd my sofa go? <laughs> well, I thought suddenly realised, no electricity, there's no cameras working, is there? So they're just sat in the dark, they're sat yeah. on the floor in the dark, okay. And there's no running water either, so no one's making any pots of tea. The agreement Nazrin had reached with the mortgage company to stave off the house being repossessed had fallen apart as she just couldn't make or didn't make the agreed payments. She probably, at this point, realised it was only she who was fighting to keep the family's head above water and decided that the price to pay was just too much. Nazrin had a sister, Zore, about three years older, that she was very close to, and her brother, who was actually a surgeon in London. There was also another sister that's not mentioned in the rest of the story. The brother in London wanted to help his sister, so set her up in an apartment in the nearby city of Grapevine. It's about the same size as Coleyville, equally quiet, even if it was classified as a suburb of Dallas and only seven miles away from their former home. Nazrin and the children settled in well. Nonna was 19, looking to go to college, had aspirations to be a lawyer. Ali was 15 and still at school. Nazrin was doing well. Her co-workers liked her. She was quiet, kept herself to herself, didn't talk much about her family dramas, although some co-workers she was closer to did know some of the history. Nazrin's sister Zore, who was 58, was also married to a chap called Hussein Zarai, aged 59. And they had one child. I'm not sure if it's Zara or Sara, aged 22. 
They were all close, very tight-knit. Hussein and Zoe owned a ranch in Dallas, apparently. What type of ranch? How big? No clue. Me being me, I immediately went to South Fork, as in Dallas, the TV show, but I've got no idea. It's big enough, and the family is prominent enough in the Iranian expat community that they host a big old bash on Christmas Eve of 2011. Christmas may be a Christian holiday, and there may be some interpretations over who can or should or shouldn't celebrate it. But in many places, it's just an excuse to have a bit of a do. So that's what they did. Everyone was invited, except Aziz. Aziz had friends, sort of, people he would moan to. And there is no mention anywhere of his family, extended or otherwise. Hussein, Aziz's former or even current brother-in-law, well, they used to hang out. Remember those Persian rugs that went missing? They were sold. The money, according to what Aziz's friends say later, was spent with Hussein on sex workers. Aziz was moaning that he was the one that got the blame. Aziz hadn't been invited to the Christmas Eve party, so he is fuming. Nazarene and the children, plus her sister and her husband Hussein and daughter Sarah, are all getting together on Christmas morning. They do plan on having a fun day. Unusually, there is mention of exchanging gifts between the family. It wouldn't be expected as they are Muslim. It's not a tradition they would be expected to partake in. But having a family meal, nothing out of the ordinary. Genuinely, I have no idea if it was wishful thinking reporting or what. What we do know is that at 11am, Zara texts a friend. She and her parents had arrived at Nazarene's home to find disease there, wearing a Santa suit. Her text reads, So, we're here. We just got here and my uncle is here too. Dressed as Santa. Awesome. At 11.15am, she texted, Now he wants to be all fatherly and win father of the year. The next thing we know is that that the police in Grapevine get a 911 call around 11.30. That shows how fast this all happened. You can hear the operator asking what the emergency is and a very, very faint male voice is saying, help, help. And then the operator asks what's wrong. And the remaining call that is audible is her obviously sending units out to the address associated with the phone's location. Police rush to the apartment and find absolute carnage. Seven bodies, apparently unwrapped presents and paper still laying about and the TV was on in the background. Nazrin and her children are dead, along with her sister and her niece. Nazarin's brother-in-law, Hussein, is laying dead with a gun in his hand, as is Aziz, with a gun in his hand also. Police are baffled. Was this some sort of shootout or what? They immediately start door-to-door inquiries. They are out of luck. A lot of the apartments are surprisingly vacant, and the ones that do have tenants, well, they're away with their families for Christmas. I think they managed to find one other person who had been at home in the complex that day and they had not heard a thing. 
Police discover that the gun in Hossein's hand had been used to shoot some of the victims, but his kill shot couldn't have been self-inflicted and hadn't come from the gun in his hand, which leaves only one viable alternative, Aziz. Nazrin had been shot once in the head, as had Ali. Nona had been shot multiple times in the head. I cannot find any real reports on how many times Zara, Hussein and Zora had been shot. Police talk to friends, family, acquaintances and build up a picture of the family and the stresses and it's not pretty. Remember the rugs being sold to spend money with the brother-in-law? Well, Aziz seems to have taken it rather personally that his brother-in-law, Hussein, had saved his own skin and told his wife that it was only Aziz that was spending the money on the women and Aziz thought that Zore, his sister-in-law, was at fault for helping to persuade Nazrin to leave him and to file for divorce. Apparently, Zore had described Aziz as evil, so he says, recounting his complaints to his friends, who all say what a wonderful man he was, which makes him saying that she called him evil either a pity party or he was confident they would sympathise how evil Zore was to say such things about him. Oh, and he was pissed at Hussein and Zore for the party they had at the ranch on Christmas Eve. He had planned to attend, despite not actually being invited. That says a lot to me about his attitude. And when the couple found out, grapevine no doubt, community is very close, he was told explicitly, you are not welcome. I was, come on, she calls you evil, you hate her. Your former brother-in-law has thrown you under the bus, so why go? Unless it was an attempt to keep him with the community and maybe get sympathy for him being poor and down on his luck. Go back to that 911 tape. The police later had to enhance it to make out what was being said as the operator and the police department were getting grief about not reacting the way people thought they should have at the time. It's Aziz. He says, help help then says i am shooting people says that twice i have attached a link to that call we won't insert it into the podcast because it's not our thing cameron and i have both listened to the call what was your impression cameron if you listen to it without any context you cannot make out the words help help i am shooting people I know there is the greater context of you being a 911 operator, so you listening to it are going to assume potentially something bad is going to be happening. But I'm just saying, as a normal person, you're not going to hear that, especially if it's enhanced. It just, it just sounds like static or noise. I don't know if anyone's got any knowledge about sound equipment, but if you turn the gain up on anything, it just introduces more static or noise into the system. You can't make anything out, really. It just it picture like um, almost like snow over the sound. You can't hear as much. Yeah. And that's what it sounds like. You can't hear the help, help, I'm shooting people. To me, Aziz sounded very out of breath, like he was panting. If I'm honest, actually, it sounds like a phone call that you hear from a child during an active shooter drill or an active shooter, because you're trying to say something without being heard. Yeah. Almost like you're in a a cupboard or a closet or something, just trying trying to tell someone on the phone. If you had said that that had come from one of the victims, that would have made more sense. Yeah. But you cannot make that out. Nobody knows why he made that call, why he would do that. 
he must have shot himself straight after making that call. But no one knows why he did it. Weird moment of clarity, asking for help he can't stop. I don't know. The police did produce a report a year after the murders, which basically said it was all down to Aziz and that whilst everyone had ideas and could speculate, there was no note, nor had he apparently confided in anyone his intentions. The motive could never be formally confirmed. Probably lucky that he didn't confide in anyone because if they didn't report it, it would be big legal trouble. And even if he did, it's possible that whoever he did confide in, they would never admit it. What if he'd said, I'm going to shoot people? Yeah. Is that a legal trouble issue? Just because someone's saying it doesn't mean they're going to do it. And if they go and then do it, I don't think that means you're responsible. The same way that if someone says, if you don't clean your driveway every day, I'm going to beat my wife. Like, it's an unrealistic expectation. It can be a legal problem in certain places, certain jurisdictions. Yes, it can be. The fact that you failed to act on a credible but did that be down to the interpretation of was it credible because no one's going to assume you're going to dress up as santa and kill your family no again yeah lots of people who knew him did mention that he was probably jealous that nazarin had been doing well didn't need him well she did have her brother to thank for that and he admitted afterwards that he'd been financially helping for years and thought that Aziz was washed up and had nothing to offer anyone. He also mentioned that Aziz hadn't worked for 10 years. That's completely contrary to all the news reports of it being only four years. But as he was family, I suspect that whatever authorities thought Aziz was doing, his brother-in-law would have actually known better. Lots of places also mention pride. Nazrin and his family took his pride away. Big thing for a man like Aziz. Look at his reaction to Nona having a boyfriend, forbidding Nazrin to work, but then having to accept it when she had to work two jobs to even pay for food. I still think it's strange that he turned up dressed as Father Christmas. I was going to ask that. I looked into how Muslims celebrate Christmas, and basically, if you're devout, you don't. But if you're casual, you may do a light version just as a holiday to have fun. I don't know how devout he was. Maybe a pick and mix what worked for him being an authoritarian bully type with his wife and daughter. No mention if he was ever the same with his son. Actually, now I think about it, no mention anywhere of how he even thought about his son. But the fact that Nonna has the most bullets in her is rather interesting. Like, all his hatred was directed towards her. Why? And the very strangest thing to me is that Aziz had a key to that apartment. Was that because no one thought he would be a danger or that Nazrin was scared to tell him no? Or what? Did he actually let himself in that Christmas morning? We only know the little we do know because Zara texted her friend that morning when the shooting happened, less than 15 minutes after the last text. And her language to me showed that being a bit older, she was very, very aware. Playing at being a father is an interesting choice of words. I feel that he went there with two guns, with every intention of murdering everyone once they were all together. And he only held off 
until his brother-in-law and sister-in-law and niece were there as they were part of the problem. I guess there's a few branches you could go down with thinking about the Santa costume. Is he doing it to lower suspicion? Let him into the house. He's wearing a Santa outfit that expected he's not going to do anything crazy because he's dressed up as Father Christmas. Or is it to spite people almost? Or is it, but it's the contrary to what you think, that he, he didn't even intend to do it. That's why he's dressed up. Why would you go with two guns? America. Texas. <laughs> yeah, there is that, but no. I, I, mm. That's considered unarmed over there. Yeah. It was just a strange one, and this is a case that has been pretty much forgotten. All the big cases have been covered. Yeah, Everybody knows in the true crime world about John Bonet Ramsey and all the other ones that happened over Christmas, but this one, and it's sad because all these people died because of one man. I don't suppose you have the answer to this because why would you? It's probably more of a niece question. Nazarene's brother was obviously fairly well-to-do being a surgeon in the UK. Yeah. And we can assume that he is also from Iran. Mm -hmm. Could there or would there have been any discussion about her moving over to the UK with him because he can at least financially support her and the family. It's then also a way to get away, away from Aziz. Good point. But then you also can't put the burden on the brother but I'm just, I'm just wondering if, if the brother could be financially responsible because he makes enough money if he's already providing enough for them anyway it's not that much of a leap I don't think and especially if it's like a loving family I'm assuming it is because he's paying for it in the first place if that was the option that was given to him or presented to him he probably would have taken that again I was speculating and making up whatever yeah, I've got no idea on that one I couldn't again I couldn't do anything except speculate nothing I've read on any interviews with him would indicate that that was a thought why do you think there's not that much information around on this case? I think there are too many unanswered questions. There possibly is some religious or cultural dismissive of this case because of that. It's the fact we know nothing about his background. And the, to be truthful, the community may well have closed in on themselves and refused to discuss it with anybody. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, they did hold a, a memorial for them. And I know that the community themselves were quite distressed by it. But say the whole town has just moved on. And that is the end of this week's episode. A family annihilator at Christmas. And finally the victims who should not be forgotten. Nazrin, aged 55. Nonna, aged 19. Ali, aged 15. Zore, 58. Hossein, 59. Zara, 22. And there it is, everyone. Another episode of the Murder Me and Monday podcast. If you liked it, please like, favorite, and subscribe, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me and Monday podcast. If you really enjoyed it, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. It's also in the description below. And if you're on the Patreon, hang about the case autopsy. See you next time. Peace. Bye.